You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I come from a family who loves to tell stories. Who else comes from a family who loves to tell stories? Yes. Yeah, you know, and if your family's anything like mine, when you get together, you tell some of the same stories that you've told. I see a nod. You know what I'm talking about. You've told the stories over and over and over again. In fact, I could tell some of my mom's stories as if they were my own. And maybe sometimes I do because they're pretty good. My family has a saying, we say, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. You need to know that. Those are the people I come from before I share these stories with you this afternoon. I'm just kidding. All of these stories are true for the most part. They really are. They really are true for the most part. So I have the opportunity this afternoon to share some stories about my time here at Asbury, both as a student and now as a person who's gotten to be a staff person here. And so I just wanted to share with you some particular moments, when I look back over the landscape of my faith journey, I want to share with you some moments where I feel like I encountered God in a special and particular way. I believe that God draws people to particular places at particular times to do something specific in their lives. And he's done that quite often with folks here at Asbury. And my story isn't any different. That's certainly what happened for me. Um, And so I want to share some of those moments with you this afternoon. But before I do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Old Testament, because God hasn't just been showing up for us in this day and time. He's been showing up and encountering people throughout history. And in the Old Testament, when the patriarchs would encounter God, they would do something Specific. Does anybody want to guess what they would do when they would have an encounter with God? Anybody have a guess? Seriously, anybody got a guess? What would Abraham, Isaac, Moses do? They would build an altar. They would build an altar. That's right. They would mark the spot where God had met with them. If you remember Genesis 12, when Abraham encountered God, And God promised him that he would make his descendants um, as a multitude, as vast as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore, and that he would take his descendants and he would give them a particular place, a land that they would live, the promised land. So God promised Abraham a people and a place. And in Genesis 12, when that happened, Abraham built an altar when he encountered God. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, also encountered God in some really particular ways. Um, Do you remember Jacob wrestled with God and God actually left a mark in Jacob's body so that he would carry with him that encounter for the rest of his days? And Jacob built an altar when he encountered God. Moses, do you guys remember Moses? He led the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. He was leading them to the promised land, to Canaan. 
And when Moses encountered God at Mount Sinai, when he received the Ten Commandments for the people of God, the Ten Commandments that were going to make this mixed multitude of people who had come out of Egypt, um, that they were going to make them the people of God, Moses received those and he did what? He built an altar at the base of Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, 5 through 6, we read, it says, Now therefore, this is God speaking to Moses, Therefore, if you obey my voice and you keep my covenant, these Ten Commandments I just gave you, you shall be for me a treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. After that moment in the story, the people of Israel are still haven't quite made it to the promised land. Do you guys remember who comes next in the story? It's a guy named Joshua. He leads the Hebrew people into the promised land. But before they can get to the promised land, something is standing in their way. It's the Jordan River at flood stage raging. They can't cross it to get into the promised land. And so Joshua does something unique. He says, to the priest, he says, take the Ark of the Covenant, which is the dwelling place of God on earth. He says, take that out into the middle of the Jordan. And when the priest stepped into the Jordan, the Jordan River stopped flowing. And all of the Hebrew people passed on dry land into the promised land. But before they removed the Ark of the Covenant from the middle of the Jordan, Joshua made another statement. He said, get 12 stones from the middle of that river. 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Take them. We're going to build an altar with them. Joshua 4, 4 through 7. When Joshua talked about those 12 stones to make an altar, he said, We are doing this so that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in times to come, what did these stones mean to you? You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. The Israelite people encountered God. They built an altar to mark the moment. And what's interesting about this story is that the rocks for this altar and sometimes for us too, the rocks that make the most enduring altars in our lives come from the moments that feel the hopeless. They come from the middle of the river. So when I look back at my time here at Asbury, I can tell you a lot of stories, a lot of moments that I feel like I encountered God. I call them altar moments. I remember, and they happened all across campus all over campus. I remember I was a music major. Yes, I was a music major and I wasn't a very good music major. And that's a major where you perform for your classmates so you know if you're good or not. It's a very humbling experience. Um, but I remember lying on the, on the floor of the practice rooms in the music building. And if you've been up there, that is, you know that that's gross. I am admitting something to you here this afternoon. I remember lying on those floors crying because I felt like I needed to surrender. I felt like music was the major I was supposed to do, but how could I give my all and how could I give my best 
to a major that I knew I, I was not going to be the best in. God met my pride, because that's what that was, my pride with an opportunity for humble obedience in those music building practice rooms. I also remember another altar moment walking around the basement of Hughes Auditorium, looking at the class composites, where all of the pictures of everyone who's gone before. And literally, I had this thought as a freshman, I believed I was not smart enough to make it through college. I, I genuinely thought I would flunk out. And I remember walking down among those class composites and looking at the people who had gone before and feeling like I was surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and like preaching to myself, if that guy can do it, I mean, look at that mustache from the 1970s. If that guy can do it, surely I can get a college degree. If that lady can do it, surely I can do it. I felt like the Lord met me, surrounded me with a great cloud of witnesses. Another altar moment in my time here, I remember sitting on my bed in Crawford 307 with my best friend, crying and forgiving one another after walking through a really big friend conflict. You know those friend conflicts that kind of blow up? And learning to forgive one another in that moment. God began to work out my own self-righteousness and my own self-pity with the opportunity to forgive and to be forgiven. Another altar moment, I remember running up the stairs of Hughes Auditorium as a freshman when the music would begin signaling the start of chapel. I had a lot of intellectual doubts about the faith coming into college and even throughout college and afterwards. But coming to Hughes and hearing people speak, really smart people, speak about God and his goodness and his truth and that all truth that we find can be is God's truth and that we can find the marks of his goodness throughout all creation. My doubts were met with God's wisdom and knowledge and the person of truth who is Jesus himself. I had lots of altar moments as a student, but as I've come back as a, a staff person, as an adult, I've had even more God encounters. There are many, many, many moments when I felt like I was at the end of myself, when I didn't have any more to give, but people still had more needs in front of me. And I remember God consistently I can think of moments sitting in my office, God consistently giving me strength and energy to keep going. You might feel that this semester, that you are at the end of yourself and that the only thing keeping you going is the strength and commitment of God to you. God consistently throughout my time here has met my inadequacies and weakness with his abundant wisdom and his strength that shows most brightly in our weaknesses. Another altar moment actually happened across the street. I'm including all of Wilmore in this, across the street at Estes Chapel. And there was, I was sitting in a, in a communion service. And I was thinking particularly that day about a person in that community, a person studying for the ministry, who had wronged me really deeply. The betrayal felt 
visceral to me. And I had been working on trying to forgive and trying to surrender my anger towards this person, but I found that it kept coming back up. And in that service, I remember the preacher got to the point in the communion service where she held up the bread and she said, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And in that moment, I remember God speaking to me that this is what it is to be a Christian. It's to learn how to forgive. And I remember speaking back to God saying, I don't think that I can do that, Lord. And he said, don't break apart my body that's with your anger and unforgiveness towards this fellow Christian because my body's already been broken for you to be able to forgive this fellow Christian. God met my, uh, my anger and my unforgiveness with his abundant mercy and grace. Another altar moment for me um, happened a couple of years ago when I, after I went through a particularly difficult breakup. And I've shared about this before in chapel, um, some more of the particular details, but I'd begun dating a guy and I thought we were going to get married. I was really in love. And after about a year and a half together, I discovered that he had been lying to me, that he'd been covering up a double life, a secret life of addiction that he had been living. And a few short months after our breakup, he died in a car accident on his way home from a party late one night. And at that moment, I sunk into a terrible depression. I remember feeling like I would never be happy again. I couldn't imagine not crying myself to sleep at night. I didn't feel like I had the energy to do anything, not even crawl out of my bed. And every time I got behind the wheel of my car, I would think about ending it all because it felt too heavy for me to carry. During this season, however, God didn't leave me by myself. He surrounded me with Christian friends and family who literally carried me in prayer. And I remember going to the prayer garden right over here by Kinlaw Library, my favorite spot on campus, at night, and I would just sit in the prayer garden, and I would imagine that Jesus came and sat with me. And we didn't have to even say anything to one another. It was just enough that he was there. In that altar moment, God met my isolation and my despair with his healing presence and the promise of his hope that he can redeem all things. First Peter 2, 4 through 10. I want to move us into the New Testament. We talked about all those altar moments in the Old Testament, but Peter has something to say to us about stones and altars and being living stones in the body of Christ. First Peter 2, 4 through 10. Come to him, Jesus. A living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. 
And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame because you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In 1 Peter, we see the whole picture, that set-apartness, the chosenness, the blessedness of the Israelites that we read about back in Exodus. It was never just for themselves. It was always meant to be a testimony to the entire world. In 1 Peter, we see the effects of all of those God moments, those altar moments from the life of Israel. We see the promise God made to Abraham we see the full realization of a nation of priests set apart for God's work in the world. And it was always about the whole world. Our altar moments are never just for ourselves. My last altar moment happens to me consistently when I come into Wilmore. And my parents, my mom is an alum, and so I've been coming to Wilmore my whole life. We would come up here for her reunions, and it was always a special sweet time. There was something different about this place. And when we would come over the hill into Wilmore, first of all, I slow down because it's a speed trap. But secondly, I look and I see Wilmore on the old smokestack. I see it right there. And for me, it symbolizes a community of excitement and love, a commitment to the kingdom, to knowledge and understanding, and it stretches to the past, to the present, and into the future. Because our altar moments that we experience here in this community are not just for ourselves. They're for the sake of the world. We are to be living stones, and our lives are to testify that God has not left us on our own. He is here and he is working in our world. Can I share a little secret with you guys? Sometimes I pray, I, not sometimes, I pray often that God would do something in your life so radical that if one day you were to leave this place and you were to decide, I don't think I believe in that God stuff anymore. Or if you were to graduate and leave your faith behind, that God would have done something. You would have had some sort of an encounter that would haunt you if you ever decided to leave your faith behind. That you would have to do something with that moment. You'd have to do something with it. I pray that we're the type of people who have altar moments, who have God encounters people who in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, when someone comes to you and they ask you what your time at Asbury meant for you, that you might be able to point to some moments in your life when you encountered God on this campus, 
and that when your children ask, what do these stones mean to you? That you might be able to respond, the waters of the Jordan in my life were cut off. So that these stones might be to the Israelites, to us as a community, to the world and to the people that we encounter, that they might be a memorial forever of God's goodness and his deliverance in your life. Because the most enduring altar stones often, time, often come from the middle of the river moments. My prayer is that you would encounter God in such a way here that you would be able to leave saying, God is real. He is powerful and he loves me. So as we continue in our worship service, we're going to sing two more songs. And as we do that, I, I just want to invite you. None of the altar moments that I mentioned um, actually happened at this altar, even though I've had some. But we do have this altar here, and it is open. It's always open for you to come. And there's something particular about getting up out of your seat and saying, I want to meet with God. And so this afternoon, if you want to walk out of here and say, I want a God encounter, I want an altar moment, this altar is always open to you. And as we sing these last two songs, you're welcome to come.